we've been going through this series in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're in our, starting our final week, our third week of prayer and fasting here at Life Center. And again, this is something that we do. If you're not a, a regularly a part of who we are or haven't been a part of our family here uh, for more than a year, then this would be a new tra- tradition for you. But it's something that we do each year at the start of our year as a structure in our community and in our personal faith. It's a chance for us to fix our first on God, to secure our top priority, uh, that is to love God and love others and keep our eyes on him. And we say say it this way, that fasting is giving up something we love for someone we desire to be like even more. So we give up the things of this world in order to make sure our focus is on God because we want to love him the most and have him as the center of our lives. And when we fast, when we do this, when we spend time with God, we're not doing this as, a, as an opportunity to twist God's arm. We say this all, all, uh, repeatedly during this series. We're not twisting God's arm for our desires. God saying, God, I've fasted. You should give me this. Or I've been fasting, so you should give me, you know, favor in these circumstances. That's not what we do. It's turning our hearts towards him for his desires to be fulfilled in our lives. It's saying, God, I want to focus so much on you that the things of this world grow strangely dim, that I don't ask you for them. I'm freed from them. We fix our focus on his presence in our lives, and we don't worry about our perfection and trying to do things perfectly. We focus on his presence because it's his presence that we need. So far, we've shared two prayer models We've shared tabernacle prayer and praying scripture. And they're both important practices that we can use in our faith journey. Structures that support our faith like we talked about last week with that. The vine or like the tomato cages in my house and how we use those tomato cages to strengthen and support our tomatoes that are growing. We need the structures in our faith to keep them growing and doing it in a healthy way. They're essential about, to what we're going to be talking about this week as well. And if you missed them and didn't get a chance to do that, please go online. If you go to our website, you can find them. We have all of our messages from Cornwall here as a podcast that you can listen to on any of the podcasting devices that you may uh, choose. You can listen to the former, the, all the messages that we've had going back however long. Um, but you can, you can check them out there and uh, listen to both the Tabernacle Prayer and the Praying Scriptures one for the last two weeks. But this week, we're going to look at warfare prayer. So how does warfare prayer fit in? Well, Chris Hodges says this. He says, prayer is not only communion with God, which is what we've been focusing on the last two weeks, but it is also a confrontation with the enemy. And this is seen as in two ways. When we engage in prayer, centering ourselves in Christ, we leave little room for the devices of the enemy. And secondly, in prayer, we confront the powers and the principalities of this world. For there is where the true battle lies. In prayer, spiritual warfare is simply acknowledging we live in a contested space. C.S. Lewis, the author of uh, the Narnia series and a lot of other theological books, a brilliant man, he spoke of how we can misunderstand this spiritual battle this way. 
He said there are two equal and opposite errors into which we can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So maybe you've looked at spiritual battles or warfare prayer as something that's either rare in life or maybe at best something that other people will have to do, the really charismatic ones, the ones that are really fiery in their belly and they like to pray real loud and with earnest and you figure they're the ones doing the warfare prayer for us, aren't they? You know, and you're just trying to live life acknowledge God and be a good person and not make any trouble. And that's, that's where the warfare prayer exists in that, that category. Or maybe, maybe you've seen warfare prayer as this epic battle that's a clash of good and evil that's raging throughout the stars and the fate of humanity rests on it. Every prayer corresponding to a slash of a sword by an angel against the enemy. And you're, you're on your knees in battle at every second and it's like this big Star Wars clash going on. The force is active. Things are happening and it's, it's epic. And who knows what the outcome is like. Or maybe, maybe you haven't thought about it at all. Maybe when we talk about warfare, prayer, those are two words that you have not connected in the past. Today, let's consider it. Let's look at it. See what we can learn about where we stand when it comes to the battle that rages in the spiritual realm. And what we can be clear from Scripture is this, that in the reality we're a part of, and there is only one reality, There is both flesh and spirit. There's a clear understanding of our relationship with God. Jesus became flesh. He took on human form, and we have the connection between spirit and flesh. And we, too, are spirit and flesh, both. Part of us is made in the image of God and bears a spirit-to-spirit connection just as much as we bear any physical connection to God. In our lost brokenness, our flesh gives in to its own desires and not God's. And corporately, this is the world that we talk about in the Bible, and it's influenced, enticed by the demonic and the devil in the spirit realm. And all this to say is that no matter where your understanding is of the spirit realm and warfare prayer, there's probably some root of truth in it. And at the end of the day, there's only two kingdoms. There's only two relational statuses that we can have with God. And it's complicated, isn't one of them. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. and Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no 
sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Reconciliation. What does it look like for us to be reconciled? What is our condition that needs reconciliation from? See, God loves all people of the world. And God desires that none would perish. And because there are only those two kingdoms towards God, we are either friends or we are enemies. James 4 talked about this in in verse 4. He said, you adulterous people, when he was talking about people who are trying to live in both circumstances, he says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There are only two statuses that we can have with God. I am a friend of God or I am an enemy of God. I either live in the kingdoms of light or I live in the kingdom of darkness. Either I am saying with my life, my actions, my beliefs, your kingdom come, or we're saying my kingdom come. We can only live in one realm. So what does it look like to be a friend of the world? We want to make sure we know what that means and what that looks like if we're potentially being accused of being a friend of the world. Well, one clear indication that we can see of what a friend of the world looks like is our behavior. Are we acting like the people of the world? Do we quarrel? Do we covet? and fight like James talks about in that chapter in verses 1 or 2? Do we harbor bitterness and envy and selfish ambition in our hearts? Do we boast and deny the truth? Do we find full disorder and every evil practice in our lives? Or instead, do we display deeds done in humility that come from wisdom? Are we peace-loving and considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, like we see in James 3, 3 13 to 18. Friendship with Christ or friendship with the world, it will rub off on our character. It will rub off on our behavior. And so today I'd submit to you that warfare prayer starts with what James would say in the next verses in verse 7 where he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Because of all that bitterness, that envy, that that selfishness, pride, deceit, disorder, because of those things, submit to God. Because when it comes to warfare prayer, our allegiance, our understanding of truth and power, they're all essential elements. See, it's difficult to engage in spiritual warfare if you're not following Jesus, if your allegiance isn't with him. See, our allegiance needs to be with Jesus in that that we are following Jesus and not Jesus and X, Y, and Z. There's no cause. There's no freedom. There's no way of life that you can attach to Jesus. Those are all things of this world and will pass away. He wants our full allegiance. There is is no other way. 
You cannot serve two masters. So we know warfare prayer is submission to God before it's resisting the enemy. Most of our freedom in Jesus, our faith journey will be realized in daily discipleship. In the lifelong following of Jesus, in the unglamorous background, where in the trenches we fight our own self-will the most because it's unwilling to submit. It's in the day-to-day life in Christ that we allow his lordship to touch every aspect of our lives. More than that, we invite his lordship over each and every aspect of our lives. Our finances, they're his. Our romantic relationships, they're his. Our children, they're his. Our vacations are his. Our downtime is his. But also our struggles are his. Our pain is his. Our life is his. For in him, we live and move and have our being. Our first step in battling and warfare, prayer, is to submit, to reconcile the fact that he's God and you're not. And that makes all the difference in the world. For how can we resist the devil if we are not submitted to Christ? How can we resist the one with whom we are friends? In a holy gesture, and with no pretense in my heart, I pray this for us. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us. Send your Holy Spirit into our hearts. It isn't only your merciful forgiveness that we need. We need to be transformed, made new. So we submit to you because we see clearly each day that we cannot do this by our own willpower. Amen. This week, reconcile yourself before God. Ask Holy Spirit to show you the areas of your life that might not be submitted to him. Because, as Matthew 23, 12 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We have a choice. We can humble ourselves before God or we will be humbled by God. Allegiance is important and so is truth. It is troublesome sometimes when we want to be rooted in a lesser truth than God's word. See, truth is God's word understood and applied. It's God's truth which sets me free because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. And we often get confused and misaligned when we listen to other voices whether well-meaning or ill-meaning, any truth in their words is partial at best, and it leaves us trying to engage in warfare, prayer, with weapons of our own making. In Matthew 4 and Luke 4, as a human, how do we see Jesus confronting the enemy? How did he handle direct and open attacks by the devil? As a human, he confronted the attack of the enemy with the word of God. 
It wasn't the volume of the voice. It wasn't his passion in his rebuke. He didn't need to get on a preacher voice and say, the Lord says. That makes no difference. He does not need to get up on his tippy toes and say things. He doesn't need to carry a handkerchief and, and run around in front of the stage and wave it. None of those things matter. Those are personality and passion. They're not the presence. It wasn't the number of times he repeated it. Sometimes in prayer we do that. Sometimes it's good to convince ourselves that we actually believe it. Other times we're saying it because we think if we say it three times, four times, five times, that the enemy actually then needs to listen. Enemies not our children, right? <laughs> the enemy is not our children. We don't need to repeat things six times in order to get them to do something. Okay? The power was the declarator of the truth of Scripture to the lies that the enemy was telling. God said to confront that, end, that lie. That's all we need. In confidence that it's the truth. Simple as that. We do not need to, to work up to it, have that passion in us. It'll, it'll be there sometimes. It'll fire off sometimes when we have that holy anger in us and saying, no, not today, Satan. But it doesn't need to be a prerequisite to being able to battle. Know your scripture. Apply your scripture. That's what you need to battle. As we engage in warfare prayer, we do so with the word of God in our head, in our hearts, and in our mouths. We speak the truth as God has given. Not as we want. Not taking it out of context to apply to our situations. Not as if we'd like to use it for our gain. His word, his way, for his glory. So with our allegiance, our submission to Christ, with the truth of word, his word, as our own, we do not then think that we can do battle in our own strength because we're fully submitted. We know the truth of his word. So what do we do? We rely on the power of God. It's, in, it's because it's dangerous when we come against real principalities and power without God's provision. If we think we can handle the devil on our own without God's word, without God's presence, without the authority of God, we're mistaken. Because where God is at work, there's power involved. <laughs> Holy power drives out unholy power. Because we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So in our submission, which is where most of our battle is, and with truth, we trust God to fight our battles. John Thompson, pastor in, in uh, the GTA, says this, unholy power doesn't just leave because there is truth in the room. Unholy power leaves when there is applied power in the room. Think about it. Otherwise, everywhere you'd walk, the enemy would flee automatically. You could walk into a bar and the enemy would have to flee. You could walk into the hockey stadium and everybody would now cheer politely and not 
utter curse words. The hockey players wouldn't have penalties because evil would flee just because you walked in the room. No, it doesn't work that way, does it? You've not experienced that, have you? (laughs) Neither have I. Applied power. The applied power of God in the room is what moves. Warfare prayer is acknowledging that we live in a contested place. Warfare prayer is submission to God before it's resisting the enemy. And when there is an attack from darkness, warfare prayer is standing in Christ. Ephesians 6, 10 to 13 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the cosmic powers, this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You can stand firm. And when you've done all you can to stand, stand. What this means for us today is this, that warfare prayer is fighting against darkness using the right weapons. You cannot use the, epi- the weapons of the enemy for God. You cannot use unholy power to see holiness expand in your family or in our cities. We stand with the belt of truth, which is not a small strap to hold up our pants, but a large, heavy leather belt protecting our vital organs. We stand with that. The truth keeps us alive. We wear his righteousness because ours isn't good enough. No one is good but God. What side of the fight between good and evil can we be on if God is the only one who is good? But by his grace, we have his righteousness to put on, don't we? We walk with the shoes of the gospel of peace, navigating our journey through the world, sure of our footing in Christ while expanding his kingdom. We carry a shield of faith, confident that in our submission to God, he is our protector. He is our victor. And we extinguish the fiery arrows of the enemy with our faith firmly covering us. They used to have big, heavy leather shields, and they would wet them. And so when the arrows with fire on the end of it, when they were soaked in a a tar and lit a fire, when they hit the heavy, wet leather, it would just go out. It It wouldn't be able to catch on fire. Our faith being held up as a shield douses those flames. We wear the helmet of salvation to remind us of our position, to renew our minds in him, keeping us clear and level-headed, focused on the cross of our salvation. And all these things are defensive pieces of armor. You don't use any of them to attack anyone. 
Because most of what we have for us to do is to be safely in the world, but not of it. That is our position. And with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, we are able to cut between bone and marrow. It gets to where it needs to go to, to root out, to cut out and destroy any work of the enemy. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 says, For we walk in the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. There's nothing you can do in the flesh other than submit your flesh to Christ. But having divine power to destroy strongholds, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You have thoughts. You have, you have impulses in your head that you say, like, I need to do this. I want to do this. I have to do this. We take them captive to the obedience of Christ being ready to punish every disobedience and when our obedience is complete. The most profound spiritual weapons you possess, instead of trying to use the weapons of the enemy for God, instead of using unholy power to try and see holiness expand, whenever we submit and surrender, walk in obedience to God's word and Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, our surrendered obedience to follow Jesus has defined power to destroy strongholds, arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Everything against what we know of God, how, what God has revealed to us of himself, we can tear down those arguments. So don't attempt to exercise Authority outside of your sphere of obedience. Do you hear that? You don't, you don't have authority outside of the sphere of your obedience. So resist the temptation to look and act more spiritual than you really are. Focus on humbling yourself and submitting yourself to God and coming into alignment with his words and his ways. Fix your obedience first, and the authority to walk in it will follow. Warfare involves emotion, but the source of power isn't how emotional we become. Warfare invol involves experience, but the source of power isn't in the type of experience you have. True spiritual warriors don't have to yell. Their respected power carries their authority. We don't see Jesus yelling very often, do we? But when his feet touched the soil, darkness and that region both knew and trembled. We don't battle wild animals that will run away with loud noises, do we? Our enemy knows real power. He knows he is a defeated enemy and cannot stand up to the strength of our warrior king a final comfort in Christ for us. We, do, we often worry about our safety and protection. 
warfare and spiritual warfare and warfare prayer can elevate our feelings of like, oh, there's, there's demons and, and the devil out there trying to destroy me. And it, we, we can make the battle really big in our minds. So let's be comforted that when we feel this way, we can immediately come to God in prayer when you feel overwhelmed by the spiritual realm, pouring out our hearts to him and battling in the heavenly by asking for and claiming protection for ourselves and our families in Jesus' name. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says this, The Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. He is faithful. If you feel attacked, if you feel under the oppression and power of the enemy trying to to get at you, pray, ask for God's protection. He will establish you. He will guard you. We can put our faith in God to carry us and deliver us. You can see it in, uh, in Jeremiah. The Lord comes to Jeremiah at the beginning of the book of Jeremiah when he calls him to be a prophet to the people. And the word of the Lord came to, to Jeremiah and, he, and, and God said, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah responded, he said, I see an almond branch. And then the Lord said to him, he said, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. And we may listen to that and we, we wonder, well, what does that mean? Jeremiah sees in a vision, he sees an almond branch. And then God says, oh, you saw it right. You saw an almond branch. That's because I'm watching over my word to perform it. And in English, it doesn't make any sense to us. But if we were able to read it in Hebrew, we'd realize that the word for almond branch and the word uh, for, for, let me make sure I get it right, um, and the word watch, the word for almond branch and the word for watch, they're almost identical. And so when he says, and he sees that almond branch, and he sees, uh, he sees that God ties the idea of watching to that almond branch. Because something interesting about the almond branch or the almond tree, the almond tree is one of the first in Israel that will blossom in the year. But it's one of the last that will be harvested. And so while you see something bloom and look like it's supposed to soon produce fruit, it's harvest. It takes a while to happen. But what God was saying is, is this. He was saying, I, my word that I have set out will be accomplished. And it doesn't matter if it feels like it's supposed to be right now, but it takes a long time for it to be accomplished. I will accomplish my word. I will perform it. So when you say, God, I need your help, God, I feel like I'm all pressed and I'm a bird and I'm, I'm, I'm downtrodden. God will be your salvation. He will be there for you. Even if in that moment you're there and you're like, I need it right now, right now, right now. And you don't feel that relief in that moment. God will perform his word. And today we know that his word is this. He will establish you and he will guard you against the evil one. If you want freedom 
from the evil one, if you want freedom from that oppression, from any attacks of the enemy, God will deliver you and he will guard you. Put your faith in him and he will accomplish his word. Today in this season, know that the word that God has given to us here is to be a center for, center for revival in Cornwall, is to be a center that God uses to transform people's lives. That's what we are here at Life Center, and it will be performed. Whether you see it today or not, whether you believe it today or not, we know that God wants this place to be a place of renewal and revival in Cornwall. He will perform it. It has blo- The tree has blossomed already, so all we are waiting for is the harvest. Today, would you stand with me as we close? And on the screen, you're going to see a prayer, a prayer of submission and empowering faith that as we step into what God has for us to 23, we will be able to accomplish it. So we'll read it together and I'll try to keep pace with you and you with me and we'll do it one screen at a time and work our way through. But this will be our our benediction prayer to pray and believe it. And what you've received on that that paper handout today is a fuller version of this, a longer version uh, for you to take home and pray with all the scriptures to back up why we're praying what we're praying, the truth of God's word applied to our lives. Take it, this was, our, this was written by Toju um, Ogunremi, one of our members of our church in New Orleans, uh, and a powerful woman of God. And she, she uh, wrote this for our church, uh, all three campuses for us in 2023. So let's pray this together. The Lord goes before me and with me. He never leaves nor forsakes me. The Lord is fighting for me. I only need to be still. I put on the full armor of God and stand against the enemy's schemes. I am fully equipped for all that God assigned me. I am confident that I will see God's goodness in my life in the land of the living. The Lord is my refuge, fortress, and strong tower. I run to him, and I am safe. When the enemy advances against me, he will stumble and fall. I am unshaken by the chaos and confusion in the world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I declare that my entire household and coming generations are saved, for the Lord has poured out his spirit upon us. This year, 2023, as I put the Lord first, I will grow in humility, honesty, hunger for righteousness and holiness. I will see a manifestation of the work of God in me as he redeems, restores, 
reconciles and renews every area of my spirit, soul, and body that yearns for wholeness. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. We do submit to you, Jesus. We start with submission in our hearts, God, and in our lives, and in our actions. Before we choose to battle, before we choose to be on your side, Lord, we submit to you. So that as we resist the devil, we can do so in the authority of being under you. So we don't have to fall prey to the lies of the enemy and the accusations of the enemy. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God, for what you've done for us. How you have set us free from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into your kingdom of light. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.